Well, the, the privilege has been mine <clears throat> to be here these weeks, to be with Daniel and Whitney and their kids and with the church here. I visited last uh, a year ago, April, uh, with my daughter. We were in the States for something, and um, we spent some time here. Uh, when I met Daniel a few years ago, he was teaching in an adoption conference, and I heard him speak a message from Psalm 87. And it so resonated with me, and I thought, I need to get this guy back for our missions conference, which we have every year. And so the next year, Daniel came, and just from the drive from the airport to our house, just talking, uh, our hearts are really knitted together. And it's just been a unique friendship and been a, a great blessing. And Daniel, in case you don't know this, is much younger than me, and, um, but I feel like he's my teacher, and I've learned so much from him. been blessed by the church here, really enjoyed getting to know many of you and just observing the ministry here. Encouraged that there's a, a real body life in this church. Encouraged by your, your leadership. And so uh, thank you for the blessing that you've been to me. I'll be leaving on Wednesday, going spending a week with my mom, and then another week in the States, and then uh, back home. I do have five daughters. Uh, two are married, two, uh, three are not. They are marriageable age. I'd be happy to speak to anyone. Um, <laughs> Because I was thinking this morning, if, if I ever go missing from Brackenhurst Baptist Church, uh, you'll find me here. Uh, I mean that. I just really feel at home here. And uh, so maybe, uh, maybe the Lord will give me some son-in-laws here as well. That would be, that would be great. And I'm not completely kidding. So, um, all right. So. so if you would turn your Bibles to Psalm 130. I really appreciated the songs today. It was just amazing how... Mike and I did not communicate except for the fact that what I was preaching from and the songs have been so relevant and uh, so we're ready for this. Psalm 130. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It's very similar to the ESV. I'll point out the two places where it differs. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities... O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, there is steadfast love. And with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalm 130 and the encouragement that it is to us as we live in a world that has fallen, a world that's filled with grief, some grief, Lord, uh, of our own making, some grief of others' making. But there are solutions here for us, how to handle this. We do pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would show us Christ and you would open up this passage, point us to him. And Lord, give us hope as we face the pits. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is, uh, life is tough at times, and even for Christians. Um, the, the heresy that is really encompassing much of Africa of the prosperity gospel that if you're saved, everything goes well, is just that. It's, it's a heresy. The Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, our best life is, is not now. It does await us. 
that we are indeed, even as Christians, we face difficult times. We face deep pits. Sometimes we face very painful pits. We face very deep and very painful pits at times. Sometimes we face that because of just living in a sin-cursed world and things that go along with that, like death. This past week, the, the death of Alice and, uh, and Dave and the family and there's a congregation as you uh, grieve at her loss. That's a, that's a real grief that we face. We face uh, the grief of sickness and disease and just recently found out uh, one of our young ladies in our church, her father is one of our deacons, and their daughter, 15-year-old daughter, was found to have a tumor on her kidney when they did the operation. The, the tumor is actually larger than the kidney. They had to remove her kidney, and they did tests and just found out a few days ago she has an aggressive cancer, and uh, it's going to take aggressive treatment. And here's a 15-year-old girl being raised by godly parents, and uh, there's, there's grief, there's trouble there. There's, there's, there's uh, deep pits of grief. Sometimes we bring ourselves to our own pits of, because of our sinful failures. And we sin against God as believers. And we feel that guilt and we feel the, the weight of that. And we wonder if, if we'll ever be fixed. We wonder if we'll ever see that sinful habit being broken. We wonder if we can ever get over the consequences of our sin But thankfully, we're not left to our own devices when it comes to those questions because we have God's all-sufficient Word, including Psalm 130, that helps us as we face those pits in life. Psalm 130 is one of the 15 psalms of ascent that begins in Psalm 120. And those Jews that would make their yearly pilgrimages to Jerusalem would sing these 15 psalms along the way. It really is uh, psalms that prepared them as they marched to Zion. And they're very relevant for us as Christians as we also also march to our heavenly Zion. There are lessons here. These are are songs for disciples. Psalm 130 was the favorite psalm of Martin Luther, who wrote an 80-page commentary on this psalm. He, He called it a Pauline psalm because it was so filled with the gospel, and it gave him such hope. But this psalm of ascent is is literally a psalm of ascent because it begins in verse 1 in the depths. It begins in the pits. And slowly but surely, this man climbs out of those pits and he goes from anguish to deep assurance. And so it has much to say to us as Christians. And this morning, I simply want to walk through these eight verses through four simple headings to help us to deal with the pits that sometimes we find ourselves in as we live in this sin-cursed world. And the first thing we'll look at is the pits in which we fall. And we find that in the first two verses. And we learn from these first two verses that when we are in the pits, we simply need to humble ourselves and ask for help. When we find ourselves in the pits of life, we must humble ourselves And we must ask for help. Suffering is real. This is the reality of grief. Suffering is real, but the Psalms teach us that God is also real. And he's the one we run to in the pits. He begins, out of the depths, I have cried to you, O Yahweh. O sovereign Lord, I have cried to you. The depths, we don't know his exact circumstances. 
He could have been suffering because of the sins of others. But it seems to me that most likely he is suffering because of his own sin. This is probably one of the several penitential psalms in the Bible. Psalms like Psalm 32 and 51 and 102 and Psalm 143. These psalms of lament. This perhaps is one of those where this individual has sinned against God and he feels far from God. He feels as though he is in a, an abyss of alienation. He feels like he is deeply separated from God. I mentioned already that sometimes there are pits in life that are, are of our own making. And sometimes the pits we find ourselves are pits that are caused by others. Others have sinned against us. Or because we live in a sin-cursed world. But I would suggest that even when we have been sinned against and we find ourselves feeling like we're alienated and we feel like we've been abandoned, that's a good time for us to, to actually do some self-evaluation and to, rather than blaming others, look into our own life and, 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 and humbly face the Lord. Regardless of this man's circumstance, we understand that in his pits, he pleads to the Lord. In the, out of the depths, I have cried to you. That's strong language. I have cried to you, O Lord. I have cried out in desperation. Here's a man in desperation. He's reached the bottom. He is as low as he can go. And he cries out to the Lord. And he cries, Lord, hear my voice. We're going to face pits in life. And oftentimes, because we are still sinners, we're going to sin against the Lord. And we're going to feel the weight of that guilt. And when we do that... It's a great time for us to cry out to the Lord and to look up rather than looking within. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a a mentor to me just through his books, he was a Welsh pastor who pastored in London for about 38 years. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the problem with many Christians is we're, we're always examining our navel. We're always introspective. He said the problem is, he said, when we sin, the solution is not to be looking within, but to be looking out to the Lord. He is our solution. A friend of mine is in Orlando at Disney World with his family, and he sent me just yesterday this picture. He said he looked up in the sky, and somebody had skywritten Jesus. And it just struck me that when we are in the pits, there's actually only one place we should be looking, and that is up. Looking up to the Lord. This man is doing that. He is crying out to the Lord. He knows he has sinned against God. He senses he is, is alienated from God. And yet he knows that God is, is his hope. He's crying out to him. Uh, some people never struggle with assurance of salvation. I'm not one of those. Uh, when, when, when I sin against the Lord, there are times where I, I can find myself almost in this abyss of alienation. And I'm and, and I'm wondering, how can I be saved? I've been saved for some 30 years. I profess to be saved, and, and I sin against the Lord. And when I feel myself feeling like I'm alienated, it's that very time I cry out to Him. And by the way, that's where the assurance comes. Jesus will save me from my sins. When we find ourselves in the pits, we feel the weight of our sin. When we feel like Jonah that we are, the depths are closing us about, and we feel abandoned by God, then we plead to Him, crying out to Him, Lord, hear my voice, and let your ears be attentive. I was talking to some young men in our church recently, and they said they, they struggle to pray. And I said, well, 
I think most of us struggle in our Christian life in praying. And they said, what would you advise? And I said, I would advise that when you don't feel like praying, you pray until you pray. You just keep at it. You keep crying out to the Lord. This man is crying out to the Lord. He realizes that he can't go any further, fall any further. He looks up and he's crying out, Lord, be attentive. That brings us to the second thing. And they're closely connected. Is that this individual understood something about the pits, but he also understood something about the pardon of the Lord. And in verses 3 and 4, we have the pardon on which we must focus. And he teaches us here that when life's the pits, we should humble ourselves and remember the gospel. This man is surrounded by despair almost. He cries out to the Lord, hear my voice. And he cries with great humility, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? This man is crying out to the Lord, but he's not crying in a judgmental way to God. He's not accusing God. This man is crying out in a very humble, desperate way, and he's crying out reverently. He's saying, Lord, if you gave me what I deserved, I could never stand before you. My wife, um, before she became my wife, before we began to date, she had uh, affections for this man in college, and his name was Mark, and she told me this story later that one day she was reading Psalm 37, and she felt like the Lord was speaking to her when she read this verse that said, Mark, the perfect man. She didn't realize in the Hebrew that's Doug, the perfect man. Mark, the perfect man. Well, that has nothing to do with the guy's name. And when she got her theology right, she fell in love with me. But Mark means pay attention to the person who walks uprightly. It means pay close attention to, study them. What what the writer is saying here, he's saying, Lord, if you were to study my iniquities... I could never stand before you. I would never be accepted. The word iniquity speaks of twistedness and perversion. It speaks of distortion. It speaks of the fact that we're not how God originally made us to be. That we're distorted morally in our hearts and in our actions. And so this man, he's he's in the pits and he's not blaming God. He's saying, Lord, I realize... If you paid attention to my distortions, if you recorded my sins, I could never stand. The word stand, this word is used oftentimes in the Pentateuch to speak of a priest standing before the Lord and serving. And what he's saying is, Lord, if you were to pay attention to my sins, I would never be accepted in your sight. I'd suggest to you that whatever kind of pits we find ourselves, this is the approach we must have Rather than blaming God for the, 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 the heartache that we're experiencing, saying, Lord, the fact of the matter is, you've not given to me what I deserve. That'll go a long way to keep people from becoming bitter because of someone mistreating them or the heartaches that they face in life. I, I found myself sinfully sometimes responding and having a self-pity party and saying something like, I don't deserve this. And as soon as I say that or think that, I find myself repenting because I know I deserve hell. This man was in the pits for whatever reason. He's not blaming God. 
He's saying, God, if you were to pay attention and record my sins, I could never be accepted before you. But this disposition leads to a wonderful realization. He says in verse 4, but there is forgiveness with you. There's forgiveness with you. The word forgiveness here is a rich word. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, there's a word that's carried over into the New Testament. It's the word for propitiation. That's the word that's used here. It speaks of atonement. This word forgiveness is found over and over again in the book of Leviticus, where someone brings a sacrifice and an atonement is made for them. Atonement is made for them. Reconciliation is made for them. This man realizes, Lord, I deserve hell, but there's forgiveness with you. Lord, I'm in the depths. I'm in the pits, but I realize I should be in a worse pit. But there's forgiveness with you. There's a wonderful phrase in the Bible, two-word phrase, but God. It's found 45 times. You're going to hear it as you go through Genesis with Daniel. Where in, in particularly in the life of Joseph, a couple of times, he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. There's all these contrasts in the Bible. We're in this situation, but God shows his steadfast love, but God is merciful, but God is gracious. And the greatest one that I can think of is Ephesians 2, where Paul speaks about the fact that we're dead in our trespasses and our sins, that we were children of wrath, we were alienated, we were hopeless apart from, from, from God, but God, verse 4, showed mercy. But God. This man realized that. Now he's starting to climb out of the pit. I'm in a bad situation. I realize, though, I'm starting to realize now something about the grace of God. As it were, he's focusing on the gospel. That's what we must do. We as Christians must learn to daily preach the gospel to ourselves. That'll get us out of the pit. When we have sinned against God and we feel like we have sinned for for the last time and that God is tired of forgiving us, we look to him as we sung about today before the throne of God above. And we realize that God doesn't hold our iniquities. He doesn't focus on our iniquities. He focuses on his son who lived a perfectly sinless, righteous life and died in our place. And he looks on him, as the song says, and he pardons me. That's a glorious truth to live by. When we find ourselves in the pits, we need to focus on the gospel, the reality of the gospel. The truth that God saves sinners. I I, I read this wonderful line by Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, who wrote thousands of hymns. In one of his his hymns, he has this phrase, O Jesus, full of grace and truth, more full of grace than I of sin. More full of grace than I of sin. And as Christians, we must preach that truth to ourselves over and over again that we can stand before God. We stand in grace because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you feel like you have sinned, I've been dealing with a man in our church for years who just seems to be burdened by this sinful habit. And I have worked with him over and over again. There's been times where where I've wanted to pull my hair out. There's been times I've wanted to pull his hair out, to be quite frank. And just in recent months, beginning to see the grace of God transforming this man's life. And this man has fallen many times, 
But he's learning to preach the gospel to himself. And because he's realizing that by grace he stands, now he's doing a better job of standing. Preaching the gospel to ourselves, we must do that. When we find ourselves in the the pits because of the sinful behaviors of others or because we live in a sin-cursed world and sometimes there's fear that overtakes us, we preach this truth to ourselves. I was trying to help a young lady some months ago who suffers terribly from panic attacks. And I can only imagine what that's like. She just finds herself terribly afraid. And her fears are so often just completely irrational. And I said to her, I want you to think about the absolute worst thing that could ever happen in the universe. And she said, what would that be? And I said, the worst thing that could ever happen in the universe is for humanity to put God's Son to death. There's nothing worse that could happen than for sinful men to kill the sinless Son of God. But look at all the good that flowed from that. That by God's sovereign hand, they crucified Christ. And yet out of that comes redemption. And so I said, whenever you're tempted with your fear and you feel like you're in the pits, think of the worst thing, but all the good that has come out of that And it was my way of saying to her, when you're feeling that fear, preach the gospel to yourself daily. Tim Keller said in one of his books that the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to the Z of the Christian life. It's the A to the Z, sorry, of the Christian life. It is where we live day by day. This man begins to climb out of the pit as he remembers but God But there's forgiveness with you. And the reason he wants that forgiveness is that you may be feared. It doesn't mean a terrorizing despair. He's speaking of his relationship with God. This man did not just want to be delivered from the guilt of his sin. He wanted to have a deep relationship with the Lord. And so he's crying in the depths. He's crying out for help. He begins to... Make a couple steps towards the top as he realizes the gospel. And now, that brings us to the third thing. The patience with which we fight. That when life, when life's the pits, we are to hold fast as we sang about. We are to hang on with graceful patience. He says, I wait for the Lord. Lord, I'm in the pits and I'm crying out to you. And now I'm beginning to realize and remember that there is forgiveness with you. Now, Lord, I'm going to wait on you. I know you've actually not abandoned me. I know you've not alienated me. I know you have a plan, and so I am waiting for the Lord. My, my soul, that is, my all of me is waiting. I am hoping strongly in his word. I am hoping. My soul, all of me, waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. What is he saying? I think he's beginning to have some hope. He's gone from this anguish of feeling like he's alienated, but he understands something of the character of Yahweh, so he cries out to the sovereign Lord, help me, hear my voice. And the Lord does hear his voice, and he reminds him of his mercy, reminds him of the gospel. And now this man says, now I can handle being in the pits. I can wait on you. 
I can anticipate a deliverance. I can hope in you. I don't know when that's going to come, but I can wait patiently on you. I struggle with patience. My wife would tell you that. My kids would tell you that. I want everything like yesterday. And when I find myself in the pits, I want a deliverance right away. I find when I sin against God and I find myself in the depths and I've asked for forgiveness and I know I'm forgiven. And I claim the truth of 1 John 1, 9, that if I am faithful, if I, am, if, if I confess my sins, that Christ is faithful to forgive me of all my unrighteousness. And I believe that. And I believe I am forgiven. But I sometimes have to wait on the Lord for that sense of his presence. It doesn't always come immediately. But at that time is when I need it. The Psalms have said is hope in his word. Say, so, you know what? I know I'm forgiven. And right now, I feel like there is a distance between us, but I know that God is real. And I know his forgiveness is real. And I know one day, the morning's going to come. And one day, the sun's going to shine again. In South Africa, we have a lot of crime, and we live behind walls and electric fences, and we have a neighborhood watch, and, and I'm on that. And it's always a glorious thing when the morning comes, because it seems like that's when the thieves go to bed. They're nocturnal. And the picture here is a watchman watching on these walls, and he's waiting for the morning because he knows when the morning comes, there's no danger, there's no fear. And he says, I'm waiting even more than that. I'm anticipating that the morning's going to come and I'm going to sense the presence of God again. I'm going to sense joy again. It's going to come in the morning. We need to learn as we face the difficulties of life that the Lord has a plan, and that the Lord will forgive us, and that the Lord in some way will deliver us either in life or in death. But there's a day coming when things are going to improve. Some years ago, a young man in our church called me, and he said, Doug, I need to come see you desperately. And he came to my office, and he said, I need to confess to you. He said, I'm guilty of adultery. And I was shattered by that. And he said, I haven't told my wife yet, he said, but because you and Jill, my wife, he said, because you're so close to us as a couple, I want you to be there when, when I tell my wife because we're going to need your help and she's going to need your help. And so we met and it was just a heartbreaking scene. And to see the brokenness in her and a sense of despair and betrayal. And I said to her, I said, you know, this is, you can, you can get through this. You can forgive, and your marriage can be rebuilt, and it won't happen overnight, but it can. And we worked through this week after week and month after month. And she would say to me sometimes, you know, I've forgiven him, but sometimes the, the memory comes back. And I said, well, forgiveness is an, is an act and a process. You've got to keep reminding yourself and keep forgiving. She said, I just don't know if it's ever going to come right. Well, that was years ago, and I got a text from them today. They're getting ready to go on holiday, and they're just, God restored that marriage. We've seen over the last uh, year or so a new joy in that home. They waited on the Lord. They hoped in his word, and God fixed it. I understand God doesn't always fix everything. He doesn't fix it the way that we like it, but as believers, we learn to, to wait on him and to wait to know that a better day is eventually going to come. The Christian life is, is, is often said it's not like a sprint, it's like a marathon. 
I think it's more like an, an ultra marathon. I ran one of those in March. Ran my last, my first one, my last one. And I trained for this marathon. It was 35 miles. It was in Cape Town, and it was very mountainous. And I trained for this thing. And I remember starting thinking to myself, you're going to be running for the next five hours. And I thought, just be smart. You've trained for this. You're conditioned. Just put one foot in front of the other. And I can remember at one point just so desperately wanting to quit. But I thought, no, just put one foot in front of the other. And when I crossed that finish line, I was just so relieved that I had put one foot in front of the other, and I'm done with that. But I thought about the Christian life. It's like that. It's sometimes just like that. It's painful. But you put one foot in front of the other, and you hope in his word. And that brings us to the last thing, the promise that will not fail. The promise that will not fail. As we lean on God's grace and we patiently wait on the Lord, we do so with great hope. He's hoping in his word, and it's not surprising that now we find this great assurance. It's amazing how he begins in the depths, verse 1. He's slowly getting out of those pits. And now in verses 7 and 8, it's as though he's out of it. He says, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. He's gone from anguish to assurance. He's been pleading with God, do something. Help me. I'm waiting on you. And it seems to me that God has answered because now he's an evangelist. And he says, O Israel, O people of God, O chosen ones, O those who have received God's grace, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is abundant redemption. And what he's saying is, look at me, I'm exhibit A. Yesterday I went to a place that I had never heard of before. I, of course, I don't live in America. I've been gone for 26 years. But there's a, there's a, a store that you have here called Menards. And so yesterday, I, my, my Bible's been falling apart, and I thought I need to get some black duct tape. And duct tape, by the way, is something I always buy when I come to America. You cannot run a household without duct tape. And so I went to Menards, and I'll get some black duct tape. And when I walked into Menards, I was just amazed. I, I, I am su- suffering from a cold, and so I thought I'll go next door to the Walmart and get some cold medicine. I didn't have to do that. They sell cold medicine at Menards. And I was walking by, and I saw they had these work gloves, and they were on sale, and I threw those in the cart. They sell jeans at Menards. They sell peanuts at Menards. They sell their solutions for everything. It's a place that if something is broken, that's a place of redemption. That's a place where things can, you can get to fix things. The word redemption speaks of God rescuing, God preserving, God fixing us. And the writer says... Oh, Israel, believe me, you can hope in the Lord because he is filled with plenteous, abundant redemption. He can fix us. He can sort us out. He can rescue us. He can preserve us. This man has experienced the grace of God through the gospel of God. And now he's telling everybody else, you can hope in the Lord. A couple years ago, I was visiting my hometown, which is Cincinnati. And I was at an ice cream shop called Grater's Ice Cream. Great, great ice cream. And I was sitting there with my in-laws, and we were having ice cream, and this little boy comes in the store, running in the store. He's about five years of age. He has a friend with him. He comes running in, and he says, Grandpa, Grandpa, this is my friend, and I told him you'd give him ice cream. I mean, you're in good shape when your grandfather owns an ice cream store, Right? 
And it was just so precious. This little boy coming in saying, I know the owner. And I know him and he'll give you ice cream. And I thought that's exactly how we Christians should be. Proclaiming, oh Israel, hope in the Lord. He'll give you what you need and more. With him is plenteous redemption. Abundant redemption. Abundant relief. Abundant reconciliation. Abundant restoration. That was his exhortation to Israel. But he closed with this wonderful expectation. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He shall redeem Israel. Can I insert there? He shall redeem the church. He shall redeem his people from all of our iniquities. We're going to sing a song again that Mike chose without knowing what I'm preaching on uh, in a moment. And um, uh, don't get nervous, Mike. In three, in three minutes, we're going to sing that song. There's a clock here. And one of the lines talks about the church being saved to be sinless. There's coming a day where the church is going to be sinless. There's coming a day where this creation is going to be curseless. There's coming a day when God is going to make all things new. When I was in high school, I worked for a, a little company called Weebold Studios. It was an art restoration studio. And what they would do is people would bring in a, a, a broken vase, something very precious, or a picture that was chipped. And these artists would recreate, as it were. They would, they, they would, they would fix up the broken vase in such a way you, could, you could really couldn't even tell it had been broken. They'd repair pictures, old pictures, and that, that you couldn't even tell had ever been damaged. And my, my job was to, to sweep every Saturday morning and to actually put the, the sweepings on the desk of the artist so they could go through it on Monday and see if there was any paint chips or something they could use that maybe they had missed. And they would do a, a wonderful job of putting these things together. And as great as that was, that, that's not even a, a good illustration of what God's going to do one day. He's not going to just fix us up. He's going to completely remake us. Completely redeem our bodies. Completely redeem this world. Where there's going to be no pits we'll ever fall into again. Last April when I was here, I, I left on a Monday to go to Atlanta to visit my parents. My father was not well. He hadn't been well for a while and he was in the hospital. And I arrived there late that Monday afternoon and had a few words with him. It was the last time that he consciously recognized me. And I went back to the hospital on Tuesday and sat with him and just watched him uh, for the day. And I had my Bible. And as I watched him literally waste away, I thought about the passage in 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul talks about um, us perishing. And I read that passage about our light affliction is just for a moment. And looked at my dad and was so grateful to, to God that God had saved my father many, many years ago. He had a testimony Indeed, of a man who relied on Christ and Christ alone. And as I read the passage, was just realized that one day, my dad's not, no longer going to be broken. He's not going to be suffering. He's going to be completely renewed. And it gave me, a, a, again, a wonderful appreciation for the gospel of God. When we are in the pits, we need to realize this is not all there is. There is coming a better day. And that's not pie in the sky until you die theology. That's reality. That one day we're going to be saved to sin no more. That one day this world is going to be perfected. And Christ is going to return and perfect this world. And, and we're going to be with him. And we're going to be living never again in the depths. That's a promise that we can 
rely on. It's a promise to which we can cling. Indeed, one day He will redeem every believer from all of our iniquities and we're never again going to say that we're in the pits. If you could sum this up, if you could sum Psalm 130 up with one verse from the New Testament, I would suggest it would be James 4.10. When you're in the pits, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank You for Your grace to us through Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You for Your steadfast love. Thank you that we can plead to you for mercy and that you hear us. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters today, and some may be in pits today. May they find renewed hope today in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those, Lord, who perhaps are heading for a pit, may they be well prepared for that. Lord, help us this week to live in light of the promise that there is a day of redemption. Help us to live in light of that promise and invite others to it, to call out to others that they too can hope in you because with you there is plenty of redemption. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.